we are in part two of a series we just kicked off last week called Living the Dream. And uh, if you're just tuning in, you might want to go back at some point. If you're like at a watch party or something, it's okay. Uh, I'm going to catch you up. Uh, But you definitely want to catch up and go back and watch part one, because what we're looking at is the story of Joseph as found in the first book of our Old Testament, Genesis. And uh, if you don't know the story of Joseph, it's a crazy one. Uh, In so many ways, it, it, it feels and seems unbelievable what actually happens to Joseph. And so if you did miss last week, and if you have never heard the story of Joseph, um, it's not going to make a lot of sense to you unless I kind of catch you up to where we are. But just a quick summary, uh, Joseph has 11 brothers and uh, he is the favorite. His father, Jacob, uh, has clearly favored Joseph and his brothers hate him because he's the favorite. You probably heard the story growing up, Joseph in the coat of many colors, like that's the Joseph that we're talking about. So his brothers, they already hate him because he's the favorite. But then uh, Joseph has these two dreams, at least the only two that we know of. And he has these two dreams. And in these dreams um, symbolize his brothers bowing down to Joseph. So Joseph just kind of tells his brothers about these dreams and these dreams make them even more angry and hate him even more. Now, an important detail about these dreams. God gave Joseph the dreams. And Joseph didn't fully understand what the dreams meant. But what I did last week was I basically told you the end of the story before we got there, because it's helpful to know how the story ends along the way. But God gave Joseph this dream because ultimately, and this is a really, really important detail. Ultimately, God wanted to get Joseph to Egypt. Egypt at the time was the most powerful country in the world and Pharaoh was the most powerful person in the world. And God had a unique purpose and he wanted to get Joseph to Egypt to rule right under Pharaoh as second in command. And we're gonna get into the details of why in part four, but it's important to know that God wanted to get Joseph to Egypt. So God um, gives Joseph these dreams and and his brothers are so angry at Joseph because of these dreams thinking there's no way we'll ever bow down to you. So they get so angry at Joseph and the hatred has gotten so bad that they decide they're going to do something about it. They throw, they strip Joseph of his robe. They throw him into a pit. They wanted to kill him, but one of the brothers kind of talked him off the ledge. So then they decide to do the next best thing. They sold their brother into slavery. They take his coat that was all mangled. They dipped it into some uh, animal blood. They took it to their father and said, hey, um, we're so sorry. Joseph has died. An animal, a ferocious animal has ripped him to shreds. And while his father, Jacob, is mourning the death of his favorite son, and while his brothers are high-fiving, thinking that they finally got rid of their weasel little brother, the way we ended last week was that the slave traders that they sold Joseph to were actually heading to Egypt. God wanted to get Joseph to Egypt. And so where we landed last week was what seemed like a setback was actually just a set up for what God wanted to do in the life of Joseph. So that's where we're going to pick up. I know it's a lot, but that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Joseph finds his way to Egypt. And so uh, we're going to pick in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. 
The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, Potiphar. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes of his, uh, in the eyes of his master and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So Joseph is killing it. The Lord is with him and everything he's touching is turning to gold. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar, watch this, left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So this is a massive turn of events. He gets sold into slavery and then he goes to Potiphar's house. That's who buys him. He's a high-ranking official in, in, in Egypt's guard. He's a captain of the guard. So he's got some connection to Pharaoh. And so as you're reading this, you're thinking, this is where it's going to turn around for Joseph. Like, I get it. God wanted to get Joseph to Egypt and in a roundabout way with his brothers being so hateful, but he got there. He's getting favor with Potiphar. The Lord is with him. Like, I'm seeing the connection. Things are finally going to turn around for Joseph. But then the story takes a turn. Genesis 39, verse 7. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while... Watch this. His master's wife took notice of Joseph and said to him, come to bed with me. This is like some real housewives of Egypt kind of stuff. Potiphar's wife wants her some Joseph. You can't make this up. But I love Joseph's response in verse eight. But he refused. With me in charge, he said, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. It's pretty sound logic from Joseph. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So here he is. I'm not going to do this. I wish we knew what Potiphar's name, what Potiphar's wife's name was. All we know is it's Potiphar's wife and he refuses her. He doesn't want anything to do with it. He's not trying to get tangled up in that, but she is persistent. Verse 11, one day, this is where it gets crazy. He went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So she grabs the cloak. Like I'm telling you, she wants her some Joseph. Like she wants all of it. And he runs, doesn't even think about it. He runs so quickly that she's only left with his cloak. She's embarrassed, you can imagine at what just happened. So she starts whispering to the household servants, hey, did you see what Joseph did? That Hebrew slave, he came on to me. He tried to to, to come on to me and sleep with me. And then she's just waiting at home for her husband Potiphar to come home. 
Verse 16, she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard this story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Joseph did the right thing. He showed integrity. And at the beginning of this chapter, you're thinking, man, it's going to turn around. I see what God was setting up. I see what was doing. And then he did the right thing. He refused it. And you're thinking, man, okay, he's going to get it. And then it goes in the complete opposite direction you would imagine. He gets framed. He gets accused for something he didn't do. He showed integrity. Yet he ended up in prison. Now hold on to that because we're going to talk about that in just a second. But at the center of this section of the story of Joseph is how he fought and said no to temptation. Joseph puts on a masterclass for you and for me on how to fight temptation. And here's why this is so important for you and for me, because this isn't a story just about sexual temptation. No, no, this is a story about temptation in general. And Joseph shows us exactly how to fight it. And the reason why this should matter to you and to me is because God gave Joseph a dream. God had a unique purpose for Joseph. God had something special that he was going to do in and through Joseph's life. But here's what is also true. Yes, maybe a little bit different, but in some ways very similar. God has a special purpose for you. I'm telling you, man, God has a unique purpose for your life. On the other side of this camera, I'm telling you, there is a massive potential for influence. Like you guys are up next. Did you know this? Like you are the next leaders of our country. You're the next politicians. You're the next teachers. You're the next managers. You're the next owners. Like you guys are up next. There's so much potential for influence on the other side of this camera. There are future marriages that are gonna change the kingdom. There are future parents. I'm, you're, I'm looking at you right now. There are future parents that are gonna raise their kids and change the eternal trajectory of the rest of their family tree for generations to come. And nothing will derail the story that God wants to write in and through your life faster than sin. There is nothing that will derail what God wants to do in and through your life faster than sin. There's a lot of things, questions that I have that I don't fully understand. Like, did God know Joseph wasn't going to fall for the temptation? What would have happened if Joseph did sleep with Potiphar's wife? Like, I, I don't know what would have happened in that situation. And I don't know how that works. But here's what I do know for sure is that there is a natural consequence for sin in our lives. And what I've seen over and over and over again is sin derail potential in people's lives. 
I've seen sin derail potential in my friends. Like I've seen um, some of my friends, close friends, people I'd consider family, lives and influence and potential ruined because of sin. I've had um, ministry leaders that are friends, people that I know and sin derailed their stories. I've got family members whose sin have derailed their stories. I know students whose story has been derailed by sin. And come on, you know this. We all know um, people with platforms, leaders that we aren't personally connected to, but are in the public eye, whose platforms have been derailed because of sin. And I guarantee you, you know somebody, maybe someone close to you or someone that you've looked up to or someone you know just at a distance whose story was derailed by sin. I've seen families ruined. I've seen influence dissolved. I've seen platforms crumbled. I've seen influence that took years to build up lost in just a moment. All because sin derailed a story. I've seen the most rock solid of marriages fall. All because sin derailed a story. And yes, God can redeem anything. And I'm not saying sin is the end of the story because God can redeem anything. But here is what's true. I never want to be the leader or the Jesus follower that uses God's redemptive quality as an excuse to just kind of do whatever I want and ignoring the natural consequences of the world that we live in. Yes, God can redeem anything. But what sin will do for you and for me at the very least will lead to unnecessary pain and roadblocks on the way to where God wants to take us. And at the very worst, it will kill the dream that you want to live. So that's why Joseph's fight against temptation is one that is so noteworthy and one that you and I can learn a lot from, especially if we want to keep living towards the thing that God has for us. And I'm not saying you can't get there otherwise, but I am telling you that road is going to be a lot easier. And so Joseph, he does three things really, really well. And I want to highlight each of these three things because we can fight temptation and we can say no to temptation that leads to sin. In fact, um, we did a whole message on this in our Alcatraz series that Jesus has freed us from the bondage of sin and death so that we can say no to sin. And I want to highlight the three things that Joseph did that we can learn from that I want you to apply to your life today. And all of them start, it's a three P's. They all start with P. It's going to be really easy to take notes today. And the first one is this, Joseph had the right perspective. First P right there, how to fight temptation. Joseph had the right perspective. To fight temptation, we have to have the right perspective. Do you know, it would have been so easy for Joseph to justify his way into sin. He could have easily justified his sin. I mean, come on, if you're Joseph, you could have been like, hey God, um, you know, you let me get sold into slavery, so I'm just going to have a little bit of fun. Hey, God, like you, you kind of, you're the reason I got here, so I'm just going to have a little bit of fun. It's been so easy to justify his sin. Or, or the opposite. He was starting to have success. He was starting to have authority. And all of a sudden, it would have been so easy for Joseph to think, you know what, man, I am somebody. 
I can do whatever I want. I'm untouchable. I can do whatever I want because I am in charge. And he could have really started to believe that he could have done whatever he wanted. He really could have started to believe that even Potiphar's wife was his own. In fact, if we're just being honest for a second, and this is really sad to talk about, but I've seen so many ministry leaders fall because, or even not ministry leaders, but leaders in general who thought they were untouchable, who thought they could do whatever they wanted, who thought they could get away with anything. And they didn't get away with it. But Joseph did not have that perspective. Although it's so easy for us to have, come on, you've been there. You've been there. It's so easy to justify our sin. It's just one time. Nobody will ever know. I've had a really hard week. It's been a really difficult day. There's no way this sin will matter later on down the road. We're so easily, so easy to justify our sins. We're so easily tempted to justify our sins. But Joseph didn't do it. No, no, Joseph had the right perspective that was anchored by two things. He had the right perspective that was anchored by, uh, that was anchored by faith and it was anchored by gratitude. And our perspective in our fight in temptation, against temptation, has to be anchored by faith and gratitude. Actually, I want to talk about gratitude first. Did you notice his response to Potiphar's wife? Why would I sin? Why would I do this? Have you seen what my master has given me? He's given me everything. I have full authority. Everything in this house belongs to me except you. So why would I throw all of that away for a moment with you? He chose to be grateful for what he had. And he knew that the Lord was with him. Hey, why would I sin against God? Have you seen what he's done for me? Have you seen what he's doing through me? Joseph chose to be grateful for what he did have. And do you know what that did? It made him care a lot less about what he didn't, what he didn't have and what he couldn't have. Gratitude is such an incredible weapon against temptation because when you become grateful for where you are, grateful for what you have, you become a lot less concerned with what you don't. So Joseph's perspective was anchored first by gratitude. No, 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 no. What I've got is a good thing and I'm not gonna throw that all away with a moment with you. But directly tied to that, his perspective was also anchored by faith. Write that down. Gratitude and faith. And faith seems kind of general. What do I mean by that? Joseph had the faith to believe, watch this, that what God had for him was better than what Potiphar's wife could offer him. He was convinced that what God had for him was better than what this world could offer him. He was convinced that what God had for him was better than what his desires wanted for him. That he knew what God had for him was better than anything he could have with anyone or anything he could ever get. He was convinced that trading away anything for what God was doing would be a lopsided trade. Here's my hunch. I don't think Joseph fully understood what God was gonna do yet. I don't think Joseph fully understood yet that he was gonna be next in line. He was gonna be second in command of Pharaoh and the most powerful person in the world. But I think he was pretty sure God was up to something. I think he was pretty sure that God was doing something and he didn't wanna trade any of that for a moment of pleasure. He had the faith to believe that what God had for him was better. Even if he didn't fully believe it in the moment, he was going to choose to believe it. 
So Joseph, write this down. It's the first one. He had the right perspective that in our fight for temptation, against temptation, we have to have the right perspective grounded and anchored in gratitude and faith. The second thing, the second P, same thing that Joseph did. You ready to write this down? He was proactive. He had the right perspective, but he was also proactive. That Joseph set up guardrails in his life. That what Joseph had the wisdom to do was to avoid Potiphar's wife. Did you know this is? The text tells us that he didn't even want to be around her. Like he didn't go near her. Like if she was in the living room, he was going to walk through the dining room. Like she was, if she was in the front yard, he was going to go through the backyard. Like he didn't even try, he was tried to avoid her at all cost. Joseph had the wisdom to not flirt with disaster. And, and let me just be really clear about something. This isn't a point about like modifying your behavior. I hear, uh, you know, people talk about this all the time. I hear pastors talk about this. Oh, to fight temptation, your desire for Jesus has to be greater than anything else. And if your desire for Jesus is greater than anything else, then you won't have the desire for anything else in the face of temptation. Yeah, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but if that's the only thing that you've got and then you're face to face with some kind of temptation, I'm telling you, it's going to be a really hard battle to fight. You need to be proactive. I heard this story about John Piper, who's a really, really well-known uh, pastor and theologian. And I don't doubt that he's got a strong desire for Jesus. But I heard this story, I would imagine this was before the iPhone came out. But whenever he would travel and go to a hotel room, he would ask the hotel manager or, or whoever to remove the TV from his room so that he would not be tempted to watch something that he should not be watching. I'd never questioned John Piper's desire for Jesus, but what was he doing? He was being proactive. He did not want to flirt with disaster. And it's exactly what Joseph did. And do you know what I love about the, the fact that Joseph just avoided her at all costs? It shows us that Joseph isn't some kind of like superhuman that just isn't tempted by anything. No, 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 no. Joseph had the self-awareness to know that he might fall for this one. I bet you Joseph was like, man, Potiphar's wife is fine. That would be fun. That would feel really good. And I bet you I could get away with it for a little while. But Joseph had the self-awareness to know, but it will not go well for me. I'm not going to put myself in a compromising position. No, no, no. I'm just going to avoid her altogether. This is huge. Watch this. Write this down. This is what Joseph did. He set himself up to fight well. He set himself up to fight well by creating some distance between himself and the temptation. There are so many of you that continually fall for a temptation because you have not set yourself up to fight well. You have not been proactive in the fight. You have not set up any guardrails. So you're not in a position to fight well. That for some of you, being proactive means Moving your phone from the bedside table to the kitchen. There's nothing inherently wrong with having your phone on the nightstand. But if you struggle with pornography, the worst thing you could do is put the world at your fingertips right before you go to bed. So charge the phone in the kitchen and buy an alarm clock. You got to be proactive. 
For some of you, being proactive looks like ending a relationship that you know is toxic. You know it's not going to lead to anything well. For some of you, being proactive is, hey, I'm not going to hang out with you in my room by myself because I know what it's going to lead to. So I'm just going to go to Starbucks. We're going to go to Starbucks together. We're not going to hang out in my apartment just by ourselves because I are, I've got this God-given attraction to you. There's nothing wrong with the attraction, but don't set yourself up to fail. Uh, there are some of you that you need to spend less time with some toxic friendships because every time you're around those friends, it never leads to anything good. You need to set up some guardrails. You need to set yourself up to fight well. For some of you, you need to pay attention to how much you're scrolling on your phone so that you might stop comparing and growing envious. Whatever it is for you, I want you to think, and maybe this is a great opportunity to stop right now and talk with the people in your group or who you're watching with. What are some guardrails that you need to put up in your life? might be accountability. Maybe you don't have anybody in your life that can be fully honest with you. You need to be proactive. Don't flirt with disaster, but actually give yourself a chance to fight well. So that's the first two pieces. He had the right perspective. Joseph was proactive. And then this third one, it might be third, but he basically did this before he did anything else that he had the right perspective and he was able to be proactive because, and this is the third one, Joseph pre-decided. Joseph pre-decided. Do you notice kind of the progression of this story? She comes up to him and he says no. He refused. He talked to her about gratitude and he had faith that, that what God had for him was better. And then he didn't even talk to her. And then he started to avoid her. And then in this moment where there's no one around, no witnesses, she catches him in a moment and she grabs his cloak. Hey, come to bed with me. And in that moment, Joseph immediately ran. He didn't think twice. Think about the detail. He ran so quickly Like it wasn't one of those where it was like, hey, come on, come on, like come into bed with me. No, no. The second she grabbed, he ran so quickly that she didn't even have time to initially let go because all she was left with was his cloak. He immediately ran, didn't even think about it. That Joseph, what I mean by pre-decided is that he had a resolve which is a strong determination. It's a pre-decision before you have to actually make a decision that this is the decision I'm going to make. That Joseph pre-decided this temptation will not be the one to get me. He pre-decided Potiphar's wife and me sleeping with her will not be the thing that will derail whatever it is that God is gonna do in and through my life. Why is it that I'm confident he pre-decided? Here's why I'm confident he pre-decided. Even before he was ever faced with that temptation, he had pre-decided that he was not going to sleep with her. Why do I say pre-decided? Why did he have that resolve? Well, for one, he did just about everything he possibly could to fight the temptation. You don't fight temptation that hard if you hadn't had the resolve, if you hadn't pre-decided that this sin or this temptation wasn't going to be the thing that was going to define you. But also, because of how quickly he ran, he didn't think about it. And usually, usually, when you're faced 
in the moment with that kind of temptation, if you haven't already decided the person that you are going to be before you get to that point, you typically will make a decision that you are going to regret. That in the moment of strongest temptation, there is no time for you to fortify your commitment to God's ways and to God's plan. Like in the moment of face-to-face temptation, that isn't the moment to wonder, hmm, should I sleep with her or not? Like that isn't the moment to wonder, should I cheat or not? No, no, no. If you're face-to-face with the opportunity and you have not decided who you're going to be and the ways in which you are going to walk, you are most likely going to do something that you are going to regret. There are certain sins and there are certain temptations where we have to resolve before we respond. We have to resolve before we respond. We have to resolve who we are going to be, pre-decide in whose ways are we going to walk, in the ways of God or the ways of my desires. Resolve before we respond. One of the best pieces of marriage advice that Julie and I got um, was a piece of financial advice. And this is going to sound funny. This, is, this message has nothing to do with finances. Um, so just go with me here for just a second. But they said, hey, like when you get married, figure out like all your budget and your spending stuff and then build up an emergency fund of three to six month worth of expenses. I'd never really thought about that. Like I never really needed that in college. Like you're living on ramen noodles anyway. And so, um, but they said, hey, build up three to six months of, of, of income um, or all your expenses so you can, whatever happens, you're good for three to six months. It's an emergency fund. And so we slowly built up an emergency fund of three to six months worth of expenses. And you use it for like a rainy day. You know, like if there's a, an emergency room visit or your AC breaks down or your car breaks down and you have this emergency fund money set aside. But here's an obvious statement about the emergency fund. An emergency fund doesn't do you any good if it's not built up ahead of time. If an emergency hits and the fund is empty, that doesn't do you any good. No, no, no. What you have to do with the emergency fund is over time, with discipline, intention, and focus, you slowly build up that emergency fund so that when you need it, you can draw from it. And this idea of pre-deciding in so many ways in our fight against temptation is very similar. That there's so many of you, you come face to face with a temptation and you go to draw from an emergency fund that is different, that is, uh, that is empty. But what made Joseph so different and what made him um, successful in fighting this temptation against Potiphar is that over the course of time, he was intentional and focused and disciplined in committing his ways to God every single day. That for you and for me, we've got to daily, way before we ever get hit with temptation, every, okay, God, I don't know what I'm going to face today. I don't know what I'm going to face at work today. I don't know what I'm going to face, you know, on my date today. I don't know what I'm going to face at that party today. I don't know what I'm going to face today, but God, I want to commit my ways to you. I want to resolve right now. This is who I'm going to be. This is who I want to become. This is the way in which I want to walk. And when you and I, with discipline and focus and intention, 
begin to build up that quote unquote emergency fund and we become face to face with that temptation, we've already decided who we're going to be. We've already fortified and built up our commitment to walk in God's ways. And just like Joseph ran without thinking, we will run without thinking because we pre-decided. Consistency builds character. Day in, day out, God, I'm going to commit my ways to you. Day in, day out, God, I'm going to commit my way. I'm going to set up this guardrail. I'm going to avoid this. I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to avoid her. I'm going to show wisdom here. I'm going to have the right perspective. Day in and day out, I'm going to pre-decide. So Joseph puts on this masterclass of how to fight temptation. He had the right perspective, anchored with gratitude and faith. He was proactive and he also pre-decided. I was tempted to end my message right there, but there's a piece of this story that we can't ignore that's really gonna set us up for where we're going next week. And that's this, that Joseph did those things. He fought temptation, yet it did not go well for him. He showed integrity, yet he ended up in jail. And I wanna end on this idea And this is where we're going to pick it up next week. But I want you to write this down. Your obedience is more important than the outcome. As you are trying to follow God, as you're trying to follow Jesus, as you're trying to figure out life, watch this. Your obedience to the ways of God is more important than the outcome. Because there will be moments in life, just like Joseph, where you're going to do the right thing. You're going you're gonna to be proactive. You're going to have the right perspective, man. You're going to pre-decide and you're going to fight temptation. You're going to do the right thing. Yet the outcome of the situation isn't going to be what you would consider favorable. And you're going to start to wonder, did I make the right decision? Like, why did I do that? Like for Joseph, he did the right thing, yet he ended up in jail. And again, this is going to set us up for where we're going next week. But here's what you and I have to understand is that the reason why obedience is more important than our outcome is because our outcomes might not look favorable, but what is going on around us isn't a barometer as to whether or not we're right in the middle of God's will for our lives. No, no, no. If you and I are being obedient, then we can be confident that we are right in the middle of God's will for our lives that God had a special purpose for Joseph. And I'm telling you, he's got something for you. He's got a place he wants to take you, a thing he wants to do in you and through you. And along the way, there will be moments where you're gonna do the right thing. And it's not gonna lead you to, to what you thought it would lead to. But your obedience is more important than the outcome. Because if we are walking in the ways of God, we can be confident we are smack dab in the middle of the will of God. Because God's will for your life, watch this. And we're going to talk way more about this next week. But God's will for your life is way more about who you are becoming than where you are going. So for Joseph, the outcome was not favorable but God saw that obedience. And yes, he went to jail, but God wasn't done yet. And living the dream, living the dream does not mean the outcome is always going to go well, but living the dream is you and I walking in the will of God. And we can be confident that we'll be in the will of God 
if we choose, just like Joseph, to continue to walk in the ways of God, no matter what it costs you or what it costs me. Because we have no idea what lies on the other side of our obedience. And we have no idea what roadblock or what story we might be derailing if we allow temptation to win the day. But what I do know is that what God has for you is more valuable. And even if it costs you, your obedience will lead you to exactly where God wants you. Even if you end up in jail, just like Joseph, proverbially, of course. Because God's working. He's always working. And that's where we're going to pick up the story next week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, um, we love you. And um, I pray that you would um, help us be a people that choose to fight temptation well so that we don't let sin derail the story that you are writing. I pray that you would have your way with our minds and with our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.